0: Hello, welcome to episode 6 of We Walk the Earth, a know-how-to-love Original Podcast. I'm your host, Sergio Isauro. If you wish to support this podcast and the people behind it, please rate us and leave a review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify. Ratings and reviews are really helpful making a podcast reach a wider audience and supporting the hard work and creativity behind it. Today's guest is a very special one. She is the mind and soul behind Poetry Forest, featured in each of our episodes. A space of reflection based around a selection of her inspiring works. She is a poet, writer and editor that has spent the last 15 years researching social justice and feminism. She has written for publications that include Atmos Magazine, The Guardian, Vice, Al Jazeera, and also leads the Art Corner in The Tilt. Through the use of what she calls a poetic antidote to toxic narratives, she causes silent rebellions that reconnect individuals to their bodies and highlight the power of creativity, spirituality, and art in our society. She is an honest writer that experiments with empathy, and roots her work in her own evolution, fears, and ideals. Let's welcome to the show, Virginia Vigliar. This is We Walk the Earth. Thank you for joining us. B. Thank you for
1: inviting me
0: to this. No, it's been a while so since I've been wanting. I'm
1: to... curious to see where this goes.
0: Yeah, me too. Me too. Me too. <laughs> I have a question. Do yeah. people call you V uh, mostly? Yeah, V. V. Okay.
1: I say Vivi, but in reality, I I like V more. Yeah,
0: just uh, like so a, a few minutes ago, I I got confused and say Vivi, and I'm like, no, 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 Virginia, Virginia.
1: No. Pero me puedes llamar Vivi, Vivi, Virginia, da igual. Da super igual. Hmm. As long as it's Or Queen as well. (laughs) (laughs) De de ahí para
0: arriba, whatever.
1: (laughs) The Almighty.
0: The Almighty.
1: We can start. you want to start? Yeah.
0: Yeah, let's do it.
1: Okay. Thank you, though, for respecting...
0: Yeah, I'm totally into it. And I think it's it's something I, I I see necessary also. Like everyone has it in a different um yeah, everyone gets prepared differently to go into spaces, like physical or non physical. Uh but it's really nice that you asked for the space.
1: I like Yeah, I mean I did it because I want to be more like Slow and conscious in my approach to what I do, and I feel that like I went to, I went um, into a podcast recording just a few um, a few months ago, which was great. But the insecurities that came after with me just having gone into a space without really thinking, you know, not even thinking what you, what you're gonna say because the knowledge that I have, I have it, it's in my head. Like it's, it's in my heart as well. But I felt this crazy, like imposter syndrome and like that I had to, and, and, and I'm like, okay, no, I want to enter things and spaces much more like ritualistically and intentionally simply because ritual has become such a important way for me to, to be present, I guess. And intentional mm-hmm.
0: do, do you have many rituals for your everyday life
1: no i don't have i t- i try to do a full moon and a new moon ritual mm-hmm. every month so the moon like really kind of guides me and then sometimes before i'm writing i like sit And I clear the space and, you know, then I sit down. I try to be ritualistic about the way I eat. I think, like, now I can't do it because I am way too sort of capitalist in my, (laughs) quote unquote, in my behavior. But I would love to have a really slow life one day Mm. and just be really sort of intentional as much as I can about everything.
0: Yeah. See, yeah. see, totally. It's crazy how we get into these rhythms because we're interacting with other people or environments that are in these fast paced, more fast paced rhythms. Um, and then that just becomes normalized inside us. And then we step out of it a little bit, and there's like a mini shock of going back to slow. Um,
1: For sure. I mean, I also think we're kind of imposed this lifestyle in a way. Hmm. Like we're constantly told that you know like hard work and the grind and this and that like
0: yeah productivity the rest is
1: laziness you know and yeah. like it's so ingrained in our culture to just do 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 produce. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, doing nothing is seen bad. It's really it, rich to do nothing like really it's really no, do nothing so
1: rich <laughs> yeah, yeah
0: and you can gain from doing nothing also which is yeah like in a mind state yeah. spiritual emotional like space no space silence
1: and I mean you're never not doing anything but like when I take like a resting day where I'm just like like cleaning the house ha- like I've learned this year I've really really made it sort of a mission to learn how to rest basically. And I still find myself like when I don't do much for like a few days, I'm like, I haven't done anything, blah, blah. But in reality, like, you know, it's just about how you do things, I think. Hmm. And, um, taking a walk or like, clean, like me, when I clean, I get so many amazing ideas. (laughs) I think I I need to start, like, if I ever get a job, then I start like billing for my cleaning hours, because that's when I get the best ideas.
0: (laughs) (laughs) See. See, also the change of context, no, it helps a lot. If you're, I imagine if you're like writing something in front of the computer, just stepping out of that, like brings new energy.
1: Um, Yeah. hmm. Yesterday I wrote and it felt so good. I think I wrote. Maybe you know the I interviewed Andrew Salgado. Yeah. He was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I know. So I wrote. I wrote an article about the conversation we we had and it was really beautiful. It felt really good to write. I put like super loud classical music and like really like went into the zone and. And I had recently written an article that I didn't feel comfortable writing. And I think it will take me a, a much longer time to write that article than I thought. And it felt really good to be able to write sort of successfully, quote unquote, yesterday, like mm-hmm. to feel comfortable with the piece. And like Andrew is such a beautiful soul. It was, And his paintings are just mm-hmm. You, like magical, you get so lost in this kind of like masculinity beauty bridge that he creates. Really beautiful.
0: Hmm. The talk you're saying is for the podcast. For no,
1: it's for the tilt ah. for the um, the magazine that I'm curating. I curate this column called the Art Corner, where I talk to one artist a month. And together we just kind of, it's really interesting because we start with nothing. And there's like an overarching topic, which is usually has to do with like feminism or social justice. And then we just have a conversation and we see what sort of narratives we are able to weave together. And I think like that's the beauty of dialogue. And I I wish I could like draw what I visualize about conversations, just kind of like, I imagine like two individuals conversing, and then these like, um, threads of new narratives of, of you know, bridges and, morphing know,
0: and changing. Yeah,
2: exactly. Mm, yeah.
0: yeah, it's, it's, yeah. I mean, it, each mind is uh, the universe. And when, like, meet, it's like yeah. these universes are exchanging.
1: Um, really, and I yeah. think it's so important for for social justice issues as well to talk, hmm. sit down, like be sort of humble and curious, and and talk and m- hmm. be able to make mistakes and
0: yeah. you know. This is a big um, part of what you do, right? Like I see them as realities, right? Like yeah. realities in, in the sense of how I perceive the world is my reality. And if I n- never question it, that I'm gonna stay there. And if I question it, then I, I might change my reality. And then we come together in a conversation and then we are sharing and our realities are kind of building a new shared one to one point. Um I really like how you how you talk about it through many different lenses. Um Yeah. yeah. It's nice. Thank you. It's very inspiring. Um And <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah, last year when I started to read your work, uh it was really refreshing because it was something that I kind of felt but n- never had seen it like there like written in words like telling me straight ahead like question your narrative your reality
1: yeah what resonate what resonates about it like what resonated about it
0: about you the um, questioning narratives um or
1: yeah or like about about my work that you said
0: mm. now you're interviewing me i like it <laughs>
1: um, I am a journalist
0: yeah,
1: after yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, Yeah,
0: what resonates is that first first of all, I, I feel transparency in your work. I feel it very or in your articles and pieces that I've read, you're saying that you're learning and you're changing and you're You're, you're challenging, challenging yourself to put that piece out there. You know, it's not something that just, at least that's how it feels for me. Like, it's not something that just came to you and then you put it out into the world. Like there's a process behind it and a process of learning and of, yeah, of learning and, and discovering new information. That's a big thing for me, you know, like curiosity and discovering new information that actually comes from the notion of not knowing everything. You know, that's one of the things that I really, really like. Um,
1: That means so much to me because it really is my intention. And sometimes it's very hard to, um, to do that, for example, I, I was writing an article about queer theory and narrative around, um, yeah, being queer or trans, non-binary. And um, obviously I wanted to, it's, it's still in the making. And I think it might take me many months to write this piece because I need to figure out the way that is a correct way to put it out there where I am describing my own experience rather than like my own experience in in learning and understanding how for like binary narratives are extremely damaging, not only for LGBTQI people, but everyone everyone is like damaged by the way that we are thinking, but I still don't know how. And so you're, you're so right. For me, when I write an article, I really need to sort of learn as I'm quote unquote teaching or, or trying to put the message out there and, yeah, it's uh, it's hard. Sometimes it's really challenging because I'm really like you get these moments where you're like, "Who am I?" You know, to write this and to write that, and I'm like, "Okay, maybe I'm just a person. Maybe it's okay to like be a person and and put this out there and like, yeah, but it means really a lot that that's how it arrives to you yeah. because that's really, really my intention.
0: I look for in most things that I um, approach and try to, um, feed my soul of like the rock star being up there far away from me, uh, next to the, to the musician you encounter like there on the same level. And I think that, that I like, um, that you acknowledge yourself as part of the process while you are a journalist and kind of aiming the lens at something. Um, But it's not just like photographing a situation from the distance and showing it to the world. Like you're there in the like feeding the situation and also getting feedback for yourself. I like that.
1: Mm -hmm. I think I think the idea of writing in this way was born the notion of like the personal is political and my own sort of realization that it is so necessary to like, if you don't do an internal healing and deconditioning in my experience and in, in, in the way that I've, and in the people that I, that I follow and that I admire, like there is a huge stripping of your own conditionings that you have to do in order to also understand these systems of oppression, like capitalism or patriarchy because they're also ingrained into you cuz you live under them and so everyone is affected by them in different ways and the healing is so important and i think it it really goes like hand in hand like i see sort of my my child self walking together with the adult self and and trying to like figure this stuff out and and in a way the child is sort of the the conditioned individual and and the adult is like the activist or the writer of social justice and feminism in the now. Hmm.
0: It could also be the other way around. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. No, but I, I totally know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The adult that's consciously putting energy into something. Um,
1: so important, I think. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now that you mentioned uh, healing, I another recurring um, idea that I uh seen in your work is like the the notion of accepting errors and and mistakes uh and that being a big big part of the healing process and of change like the first step and yeah, not thinking errors as bad you know um you mentioned also cancel culture um kind of being not very healthy because of that um
1: i mean i find cancel culture problematic but for example the other day so around errors and mistakes i think for sure it's so important to allow yourself the space to make mistakes as long as you're coming from a place that's like humble and not disrespectful, of course, like if your error is hurting others or disrespecting others, then I think that, you know, you need to work on that. But, but if I'm trying to move forward and if I'm trying to change and I make a mistake because I'm conditioned or because, you know, for I could give you an example. Um, I did an interview with um, a poet, who identifies as them. And it was very difficult for me to really change my language in that sense and the pronouns because I'm just not used to it. But I wanted to respect them. I mean, not wanted to, obviously, I'm going to, like there, it's not even a question whether I want to or not. But that I stumbled so many times, so many times, and I was like, Nope, and I would correct myself, and then move forward to them. Nope, okay, correct myself again, and like, and this is like a small example. And now I can talk about them without making a mistake because I'm much more sort of conscious about it. And I think, like, I need to change my language. Like, it's so important for me to understand it, and um, and I really think, like, without error, there can't be progress. Is then you're never going to try. And that's why so many things are stuck. But I had an interesting conversation the other day because I did one of my, like the femme talks, that is this little thing I do on Instagram where I ask people to ask me anything about feminism or womanhood or social justice. And someone said about cancel culture. And I said, I think cancel culture is really not... Um, not good. It shuts people up, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And a friend of mine commented that he that he didn't agree, and that he thought cancel culture. I really don't want to say this in the wrong way, but it was very interesting because he gave me a completely different perspective. In which he said that basically, cancel culture is kind of a counteraction to how much we have been silenced as well by oppressive systems. Um, I get what you mean about errors made in a place of love, but usually people get cancelled because that mistake is so outrageous that it means they had so much possibility to have internalized the kind of change needed not to make the error. And then he says, cancel culture is actually important as a tool used by the oppressed to fight back the oppressor because until now the oppressor has literally cancelled anyone that went against their narrative. So and this goes back to, to like the dialogue thing that I was saying before. Cause I was, like, I was like, hmm, okay. I'm like, I don't know if I agree with this, but I'm gonna think about it and and you know figure it out. Um I think it's a thin line obviously. Um for sure, it's hard.
0: Yeah, that just uh, popped into my mind. The, um, is cancel culture using kind of the same um, structure as the like p- patriarchal system is using? Um, instead of yeah. like building bridges of compassion and understanding, and and asking someone talking about the problems or the offense that was made and saying like, Hey, what, where do you think this uh, came from? Um, Where did you learn this? Do you want to unlearn it? You know, like this bridges of compassion and, and I, I think at the end, we all kind of are looking for the same, which is like being in a nice harmonic space and being loved and being able to love, you know, um, but this. Yeah, cancelling. Also, it popped into my mind, like the the jail system, for example, which is kind of like cancelling people out of society instead of, I think they need the opposite. They need to be out with the people and looking to themselves instead of just like, like um, told, off punished. punished, Yeah.
1: Mm. I mean, I tend, I tend to agree with you for sure about the bridges of compassion. I think that, and this is why that argument with my friend, I still have to think about it because, in my opinion, like even just the word canceling is aggressive, and I'm trying to really try, like, really not be aggressive in in my approach to. Change and healing. Let's say um, so. This is why, like in principle, I don't, I don't agree with cancel culture. I am super open to hearing other people talk about it, so that I can figure out whether my argument kind of stands in 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 my own view, not in not necessarily other people's views. Um, what you say about prisons. I mean it's like this in many in many countries for sure, even Spain and Italy, I guess. But but there I think, yeah, I th- there's the punishment part. And there's the sort of human and healing part which is totally ignored. Yeah. Um Same. it's a, it's it's a delicate subject for Same. sure, Same. especially when it comes to prison because i mean i'm thinking about for example a rapist a serial rapist now and i'm like what, what what do i think about yeah someone like that being sort of in society but at the same time i think most human beings should be given the ability to the chance and the tools to heal themselves
0: yeah it's a delicate subject with many angles um for sure. It it feels for me like a lot of what makes us, um, mm, yeah, like hurt other people, um, might be some of this canceling <laughs> we do to our feelings or, or, or other people have done to us, you know, uh, it kind of okay. comes from there, um. But it's hard because it's like a vicious cir- circle when you say like, okay, if I was... Where
1: do you draw the line?
0: Yeah, where, where do you draw the line? Obviously, if I, if I um, assault someone or hurt someone, um, I'm responsible for it in a, like a physical, uh, practical way because I went physically to do it. Uh, but if I was assaulted or abused as a child and then i kind of, that like kind of switched my mind and i carried it forward uh and then i was just kind of like channeling that um pain or sadness or whatever um it's very difficult uh to i mean I, yeah maybe it's not about who's responsible but like what we can do when it arises no um
1: for sure
0: yeah
1: it's hard it's 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 hard because also there's trauma involved in many people. There's, for example, in like social justice and feminist movements, there's a lot of anger because there's a lot of trauma. And for example, this is something that I always explain when I talk to men about feminism, predominantly like white, cis, straight men. Um, Where it's like, you, because they, a lot of the time my friends have told me that they feel rejected by feminists and that they would love to help, but they think that they don't belong and that they're being sort of, you know, pushed away. And I always try and tell them and I'm like, you need to understand that there's a lot of trauma and that even though you haven't personally like inflicted that trauma, white dudes like you remind people of their trauma and you need to deal with that. And I think really the same thing goes for, for example, white people talking about race or trying to understand racism and stuff like that. And it's like, sit back. And like, if some anger comes at you, take it as well. It's like, deal with it. And I tell so many men, I'm like, I'm really sorry. It's really uncomfortable. And I'm actually not that sorry, but like, it's, it is very uncomfortable. But transition is uncomfortable. So deal with it. Like, what can you do about it? You know, what, how can you help people heal? And, and I think taking into account people's trauma is very very important not not to not to use it as an excuse to be violent or be you know nothing in, of that sort but to understand that it is a factor in the healing process and if you have not received that trauma then you need to somehow sort of take a step back and 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 understand. I think, in a way, don't know if I'm making any sense. No,
0: yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. 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 You need to listen. No. Like, that's a, I think a big, big part of it.
1: And ask as well, ask the right questions, but ask them from a place that is curious and like humble. And it's like, because so many men, even though they are interested in feminism, for example, there's just no way you can know certain things because you are just, you're not a woman. Mm. Very simple, like it's that simple. (laughs) And it's so hard for so many people to understand. Mm. I get it. Like the ego is probably involved there. and, And before actually, when we were talking about trying to like rid the writing, like to do the inner work and, and to, and, and about my writing, like, yeah, of course what I try to do is like rid my writing of ego, but it's so hard hmm. because, and that is why I, that is why also when I'm healing my own issues, like, you know, in my partnership, for example, where I'm like acting in a certain way and I know that I'm acting in a certain way out of love, but I'm like, Hey, maybe there's like a tiny little part that's like acting out of a fear of losing that person. and like wanting to kind of attach. And I think, and I think catching your ego is like such a difficult and like sensitive exercise to do, but also extremely, extremely necessary. Hmm. And it's the same with really everything. I don't know. I don't think you can live without ego. I think it's probably the most human of things. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There, there's. <clears throat> yeah. I think also ego has become a negative word, kind of. Yeah. Um, but it's it's just a thing. We, <laughs> you know. Um. And I think it can be healthily balanced. Um. But it's really hard like to know. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So. Sorry. No, yeah. no, sorry. I thought you were finished, but I just, I would love to know how your experience with ego has been just in terms of you being, you know, a different person than I am and me <laughs> learning from you. You
0: mean ego in my life or? Yeah, because you were saying
1: it's just a thing. You said it's just a thing. Like a quality, and a
0: quality. Or-
1: yeah, it's a quality. And you said you have to find the right balance. Yeah. But- how do, how have you like approached finding the balance?
0: Um, yeah, I think what I mean when I say balance is it's something we need to survive, kind of, you know, like, uh, the idea of ourselves and, and how we move through, through the world and how we interact, being conscious about it. But this is not good ego is when it's controlling me and kind of. I, th- I think a lot of times when I'm like going kind of cuckoo like kind of crazy in my mind it's my ego building stories of myself of my relationships of my my relationships with the world with uh with love partners with a uh, family with whatever like how i look how i uh feel i don't know i'm just like thinking of ego as a interface between our like pure inside and the structures that are happening outside. Uh, structures mm-hmm. as in ideas and conventions and language and everything. Um, yeah, and like th- finding that healthy communication between the outside world and ourselves. If that translator is like feeling sad and violent, maybe the translation is gonna be a bit off, or the the other way around. If the translator is like in a very chill state, maybe it can help you communicate with the outside world in a more chill way. I don't know. I'm just
1: <laughs> kind of that's really interesting. It <laughs> you put it. Um, I the only probably suggestion because I have done that and it's really helped me is you said oh, I don't want to do good or bad. So maybe instead of good or bad, like fear or love, and then, and then it's, it's sort of like devoid of judgment whilst good or bad is like, has some kind of judgment in a way. But I love this picture of like the ego being the translator. I really like that.
0: Yeah. The fear and love idea. I've, I've been playing with it in my mind for like so, so many years. And I actually use it as a tool when I like find myself in some like sketchy, um, emotional or or mental situations. Hmm. There's this other like Sergio that comes in and says that, but that's binary, you know, just questioning the idea of it. Do, do you think it's like that? Like,
1: Okay, so now I, the way I'm imagining this love and fear thing, is because I'm super visual uh-huh. in in how I make sense of some concepts that are totally complicated. So I'm imagining like, you know, when you see these pictures of like a soil and roots. So I'm imagining like these roots and I'm imagining what if like the soil is inflicted with fear and the roots are kind of like, I'm I'm imagining them like rotten or like, Mm -hmm. you know, fatigued. Whilst if the soil is like injected with love, then I'm imagining that like what will grow from those roots will be healthier, let's say, like shinier and greener somehow. Mm -hmm. So this is how I'm I'm imagining it in my mind, the fear and love.
0: Yeah, more like... And whatever it is. Like the quality of the energy or nutrients Mm? exactly Mm -hmm. yeah it makes sense
1: yeah
0: nature is such a good metaphor See, no it's a good metaphor and it's it's what's happening all around yeah i had uh, lunch with this friend yesterday elias who's also um in one of the episodes of the podcast and he's he's an architect and uh, urban designer and He's into this systems idea of looking at things, and there's like a big school of thought uh that talks about systems no like systems of life systems like looking at a at a city as a system, not as a yeah. place for us to just be um it's very it's very very interesting what things unlock when you start being open to this connections between everything and everything. Um it's kind of overwhelming <laughs> also but, but then yeah. after you after you cross that uh that uh feeling of overwhelmness then yeah. it's kind of comforting actually and and it helps but at least it helps me surrender into whatever. Um yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I think you need time. Time is so precious. like process things and like we're really not given enough time to to figure out our own processes to figure our own selves out. This is what I've encountered and especially in writing where it's like the system, these like these systems that are quite oppressive don't want to give you the time to question things. Like to question things is is a luxury actually. And if you think about it, it's so bad that that it is one like that. It's a privilege to be able to be a person that has time to question certain certain things and maybe all you need is time to approach it differently.
0: Yeah. I think it brings us back to accepting non urgency, um, because we want everything now and we want it as we want it. And we want it now. And yeah, that's a product of, of just the idea of productivity and life is short. So you must make the best out of, you know, like all these things, but Mm -hmm. uh, space uh, and time are so, so important and healing. I was
1: just talking about this with a colleague of mine about this magazine that I'm, that I curate and this article that I, that has been popping in this conversation that I'm having difficulty with. And I have had to really learn to respect my creative and writing process. And I feel so blessed that I am in a team that also respects that slowness. Because if you, if you look at like the journalism world, the writing world, a lot of the time it's about deadlines and, and things with some, but I feel that if my writing is a process, and this is great because actually I had, and you really taught me how my writing arrives to people today. And that's really, really great for me. But for me to, like, if my writing is a process, then I need to respect it. And sometimes I won't have the article, you know, on, for example, June is like Pride Month, which is extremely important to raise awareness um, about uh, binary thinking and LGBTQI rights and and these um, important issues. But then there's this rush where it's like, oh, if I'm writing about queer theory or whatever, then I have to do it like on Pride Month because that's when everyone is apparently reading. And I refuse to do that, mm-hmm. <laughs> like especially as a... And then this was part of the conversation I had where my colleague told me as an ally... Even better that you're not publishing it on Pride Month because Pride Month is supposed to be a space for LGBTQI plus people to express themselves and to express their story, like just the space for that. And and I definitely, I don't even think this article, I'm going to do it for July. Let's see what happens. But But this slowness and this giving myself time in the environment of media is so hard but it's something that's super it's become super super important and i think maybe everyone should slow down everyone everyone like corporate corporations everyone
0: I, i think it's a beautiful thing that you can respect your yourself and your process um and that's a way of honoring the art itself um like trying to make it fast just because some deadline. Some people can work like that and just put out amazing things.
1: Mm-mm. Yeah. But
0: not, not all of us, definitely not no. me. Um,
1: me neither. Me neither. And I think I'm really privileged to be able to respect that creative pro- process. But But it's also something I've had to deal with. Because I have, I might have urges and then in an urge, I have like three ideas and then I'm like, I have three articles in like two days, but then maybe I have three months of like figuring out how to do a certain thing and, and and depending on like how I I call, I sometimes call my articles, my mountains, like depending on how high the mountain is, I need more time and the, and to be able to deal with time in this way has been very hard and still many people with whom i talk to don't understand this thing because i think sometimes maybe they just judge me as like lazy or privileged or i don't know like and i and i've felt that and i have myself judged myself as that as well but hey I'm learning. <laughs> I'm still learning.
0: Yeah, yeah, but I mean, yeah, I totally understand. Having time is a privilege. Uh, having time to create beautiful things is is a privilege. Um, yeah. but
1: but isn't that totally effed up? Sorry, that time is a privilege. Yeah, that's it's that's, not always, that's like it's crazy. It's wrong
0: because that's crazy. what we have. <laughs> it's time, exactly. uh, but also it it brings into like the psyche, it reinforces the idea of, of art and art creation as a luxury and not, you know, like not as a necessity. If, if, if we saw art like heartful and informed journalism and, and true, um, art that comes from inspiration and that takes it's amount of time if if it's five minutes of if it's five years or or whatever, if we saw that as a necessity, then people wouldn't judge us as lazy for being in bed or not in bed but just not producing for two days or three days or whatever you know um yeah, but we live in this eco- like in these environments. It's hard. There's a
1: lot of people working on this, and there's a lot of people sort of advocating for rest. Mm -hmm. Um, A really interesting project is called the NAP Ministry.
0: Mm -hmm. I don't know if
1: you've heard of it.
0: No, sounds amazing.
1: (laughs) Basically, it's um, a group of activists in the US, uh, predominantly. Black artists and the founder, uh, sorry, activists, I mean, and who advocate for rest, especially for Black people as sort of a revolutionary tool because we're taught to grind and work and also the legacy of slavery and, and all of that, like just comes from this over- like this imposed overproduction and to to sit back and like take a, literally take a nap um, is a huge sort of revolutionary act and um it's so interesting the way that that the nap ministry works and they also create like napping experiences from what i've understood but obviously now with the pandemic like. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of paused, but so I don't know. Kind I of like an slowly. art
0: art social happening thing.
1: I think they create. I really don't want to say the wrong thing, and I don't remember hmm. yeah. how they um, do it properly. But hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a lot of research. So they they examine the liberating power of maps. I love it. Hmm. Um, and they framed it so. So they do like immersive workshop, curate performance art, um, examining sort of rest as a radical tool for healing, for community healing. Um, they do like collective napping experiences, which is basically like a program where, like, a sacred space is created, and people just kind of nap together. Or wow. Um, create sort of immersive hmm. workshops. I find it like, oh,
0: it's so beautiful.
1: It's so like, so well hmm. you know, framed. Yeah. Yeah. I'm amazed by this work and I hope it like expands throughout the whole world and that people sort of really understand what this means. Yeah.
0: Do you take maps totally. yourself?
1: Oh, Yeah. <laughs> I love naps. I think power naps. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, like fifty. Like today, I haven't. I, I'm really tired. I think. But yeah, naps are like regenerating see, completely.
0: See, and it's also for me. I'm I'm not much of a napper, uh, just because how my organism works. Uh, but mm-hmm. when I, when I, it's very obvious that I need one. Um, it's funny because. Most of the times, that moment is when I have more things to do, um, and it's kind of like the like what they say with meditation. You know, like if you don't have time to meditate, you need meditation more than anyone. Uh, and that feeling of oh my god, I need to rest, and it's it's just two in the afternoon. It kind of helps me exercise this letting go of responsibilities. Uh, mm. And most of the times, I come back after a nap, or after, maybe not a nap, but just like a twenty-minute rest session. Uh, mm-hmm. I I come back and and really like get things done, um, but it it, yeah. it it's hard.
1: Mm. I think it's crazy because not I was thinking about it, and also between young people. <laughs> for example like a way to sort of escape responsibility blah blah is like party or and there's this like obsession with not sleeping for so many people who are like i don't need to sleep i remember like with my ex-partner we would talk and he told me that if he could take a pill that didn't make him sleep. I, re- I really remember this conversation because I was like shocked because for me, sleep is like the best. Sometimes I wake mm. up in the morning, I'm like, ah oh, yes, like, I love sleeping. I love it. But there's this obsession with not sleeping and like so many things are catered for you not to sleep and including, you know, partying, festivals, drug taking, working until late at night. Like sleep is so important and like there's not enough advocating for rest really like and now I don't know why I've always looked at the NAP ministry and thought it was genius but I think now it kind of just clicked how little sleep and rest is advocated in our society yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean in Spain it's interesting because they have the siesta maybe even in um, in Mexico like siesta is part of your lunch break
0: yeah yeah, yeah.
1: Like it's yeah. integrated. Obviously, then they work until eight, which I don't know if I would want that. <laughs> but it's like part of your day, the siesta. Yeah.
0: See. And you,
1: you know, if you think about like like campesinos or like people how they would work before like the hard workers would always, you know, have a little nap under. The tree. Yeah. I mean, maybe I'm generalizing a lot, but now I'm imagining like See. these like farmers that would just take a break under a, a tree and sleep wherever they were and just take a nap. Yeah.
0: I mean, at the, should
1: bring that back.
0: Yeah, <laughs> at the end, it's, it's also the culture of listening to our bodies and their necessities. No, um, and not just following a like a schedule like a productivity schedule to meet meets like a a quota or something
1: (laughs) you're a big sleeper not? you said you go to sleep you go to bed really early and wake Mm, up early
0: i yeah that's what i normally do i really also like staying up uh but when there's things going on inside and and like socially also like if i'm hooked into like a social situation or dancing or, or something when I really want to be there or doing what I'm doing, uh if it's like creating art or being with friends or whatever or dancing or whatever, if I'm really into it, the the sleep I'm not having, it's it's not a loss for me. It's more like an offering um to that That's to that whatever is happening. But if I'm not into what's going on, then those hours of sleep are like big sacrifice. Um, like <laughs> if I'm if I'm working, I, I don't do this since a long time ago. But if I'm like, really late at night working on that project, I I'm not very passionate about. That's, mm. you know, that for me, is like hitting myself with a stick on the leg or mm. something. <laughs> um, but yeah, I try I love not riding to at
1: night mm. sometimes. Yeah actually, I would, but I also love the day. And so I'm very torn. Yeah. But, um, but the night has this quiet to it for me. Yeah, I,
0: yeah. I, I don't know where I, I it was many years ago, but I, I read or saw in a documentary or something. Uh, they were talking about uh, composing music and creating like making music, but I think it can apply to anything uh, mm-hmm. like creative, uh, creativity related at that late at night or when we are like usually more tired and there's less filters that affect the what we're channeling um so like our our mind is more it's more east yeah like east out um so like what comes out is really like what's coming out what i've been trying to do sometimes that most of my more mental work i try to do early during the day uh, mm. like emails and like scheduling and like all these things um and the more creative work i try to do it in the afternoon or even into the night um and it it feels less like there's yeah, less I friction
1: i mean i do that too but also i need to also follow what i feel in that day
0: yeah 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 totally
1: for me, it's like super important.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because otherwise, you're you're imposing also like kind of a exactly. weird structure. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah,
1: yeah, But um, yeah. Speaking of time, I did not know how much I had to do today <laughs> to be beside a person. And so in a bit, I'm gonna have to.
0: Maybe no, perfect. Yeah. Maybe end a conversation.
1: We've been but here for a while. I, um, it was such a beautiful, yeah, organic, very grounding talk. I feel very like calm. I felt calm all the time. I think you have this beautiful calming energy.
0: Thank you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I feel like I know you already, yeah, and I'm like yeah, yeah. I could stand like, you know, in front of a fire or in nature somewhere and just talk and talk and talk and talk and it's like super calming way
0: thank you very much
1: thank you so much thank you gracias
0: gracias talk to you soon That was Virginia Vigliar. To dive deeper into her beautiful work, follow the links in the show notes of this episode. In today's Poetry Forest, Virginia shares with us If Woman Could Talk, written by herself.
2: woman could talk she would tell you about the women before her the shamed and beautiful the tender and powerful the violated and resilient she would tell you that her womb is covered in snowflakes from pushing life out of her she would tell you that pain is something you embrace not something you escape she would tell you that there is power in receiving that pleasure is a form of resistance and she won't hide hers no more If woman could talk, she would do it slowly. She would caress your wounds and pick flowers from your chest. If woman could talk, she would tell you that we are trees and that the moon moves the red tides of our cycles over and over again. If woman could talk, she would tell you what it feels like to make space in your body for new life. She would tell you that magic coexists with fear and wonder, that inadequacy holds her hand with nurture. If woman could talk, she would tell you that all our multitudes need caresses, our tears must have acceptance. If woman could talk, she would tell you our sisters can teach us about power, that love is a choice that involves freedom and honesty. If woman could talk, she would tell you sex is not supposed to hurt, that you are not giving anything up. She would tell you it is simply exchanging. If woman could talk, she would tell you that birth is pain we don't endure, but simply breathe through. If woman could talk, she would tell you about the lie of suffering. She would reveal the truth that pain is transformation, only if you are willing. If woman could talk, she would tell you to marvel at her body, whatever shape it is. She would tell you that she has had to learn to do so herself, stripping layers of societal conditioning. If woman could talk, she would tell you about the forest of shame and appropriation, how she came out of it naked, and she opened her legs for flowers to grow, not for her insides to perish. If woman could talk, she would tell you about the countless times her body was used like it didn't belong to her. How the systematic violations are a consequence of testosterone battles and petty crimes, that this is something no woman would ever create. If woman could talk, she would tell you about the absolute beauty of silence rooted in agency. If woman could talk, she would tell you that she doesn't remember when your time became more important than hers. If woman could talk, she would tell you about the countless hours spent working for no money or recognition, that duties are misdirected, her time is not respected. If woman could talk, she would tell you that we are in a permanent growth state, that our roots remain grounded, yet we will never stop reaching for the sky. If woman could talk, she would say thank you to all those that came before her, so that she could talk today.
0: If Woman Could Talk was written by Virginia Viglier. If you wish to read more of her inspiring work or get in touch with her, please follow the links in the show notes. We Walk the Earth is an Aura love original and is produced by me, Sergio Isauro. The music in this episode was produced by Tejedor. Poetry Forest by Virginia Vigliar. Editing by Miguel Andrade. Mixing by Aldo Leiva. Executive production by Jorge Gonzalez. If you like this podcast, please rate us and leave a review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify. This will help us keep going, creating and igniting curiosity in more people. This is We Walk the Earth. Thank you for listening. Until next time.